Bad leaders are everyone's worst nightmare, giving you the ultimate playbook to lead, inspire, and grow your team. Better tech leadership powered by BrainHub. Um, yeah, Mark, I'm, I'm super happy to have you here today on our Better Tech Leadership podcast. Um, I think it will be a really interesting talk because you are involved in pretty fresh thing, as we discussed before. You are the fractional CDO, not the interim, but now the fractional CDO, the new new thing. Um, and I really wanted to start with that. Uh, after maybe you could introduce yourself and tell about your experience as a tech leader. Okay. Well, uh, I've been around the IT industry forever. I started off as one of the first Windows developers on Wall Street creating electronic trader workstations. Uh, then I had my own software development company, uh, which did very well. I, I developed a number of products, had a small company of developers, sold that in the late 1990s and went back to consulting. Uh, consulted for a lot of startups during the dot-com boom. And then I landed at Citigroup, where I was chief architect of the investments uh, of the of the investment bank, notably the the equities division, um, which had about ten thousand people in it, about fifteen hundred IT people. So I was chief architect there, reporting to the CIO, and then I got poached by Citadel, which was a very well known big hedge fund because they were forming a new investment bank when all the other invest, uh, a bunch of investment banks collapsed like Bear Stearns and Merrill Lynch and Wachovia. So they collapsed and Ken Griffin, who's the uh, uh, head of uh, Citadel, decided to form a new investment bank. That lasted about two years before he closed the investment bank down. And I went back to consulting. I went down to Brazil and re-architected HSBC systems. I led IT for British Petroleum's energy trading operation in Chicago because they couldn't find uh, a CTO that they were happy with. So they brought me on for three weeks, which turned into nine months. Uh, then I joined MetLife, which is a big global insurance company, as chief architect, reporting to the CIO. And then I was chief architect uh, at ADP, which is the biggest payroll uh, software company in the world. And I reached a certain milestone uh, with my life. And my wife and I agreed that, okay, when we reach this milestone, I'm, we're both going to retire. So uh, all of these years, people had been coming up to me with ideas. They were saying, okay, Mark, I have an idea for an app. Um, can you help me develop this app? And I would always say, sorry, I have a full-time job, a lot of responsibilities, but why don't you take me out for some drinks and I'll uh, draw, sketch out your architecture on the back of, of the cocktail napkin and uh, I'll tell you how to hire a development team and all that. So when I left the workforce back in 2018, I said, well, what should I do now? And I said, well, you know, I've been giving people free advice all of these years. Why don't I turn this into like a one-man consulting operation where I will help multiple startups? Or you know, my idea was to help people who had ideas but no technical background. So my company, CTO as a Service, was born, spent some time making a nice website, 
and went to search for some clients. And uh, luckily, because I'd been in the industry for such a long time, uh, I had a good network and I got some initial clients just by word of mouth. And I grew the business. It was just me, but uh, I had more and more clients. And you know, sometimes I would be time slicing between eight or 10 clients. And then um, I actually left to take a CTO job with my, uh, with my biggest client, XP Investments, which is like a, a very big asset ma manager and brokerage in Brazil. And I said to them, I really like the fractional lifestyle uh, and I'm only going to stay there for one year. So I stayed there for one year and then came back and restarted CTO as a service uh, a few months ago. And I'm back in the, in, in the fractional game. Great. Thank, thanks for this introduction. Uh, and the first question that I have, it's related to our previous uh, talk. And I wanted to ask about the fractional CDO. How is it different in compared to interim CDO? Uh, I mean, work-wise, uh, despite, of course, the time is shorter for, for, for one client. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you could explain how, how does it work? Okay. And so in my mind, the distinction between fractional and interim is that with interim, you're there with one client. And you're usually working 40, 50 hours a week, but that's just for one client. And the usually the role of an interim CTO is either to uh, fill in the CTO position uh, between the time that the existing CPO, uh, CTO le leaves and, uh, and when the company hires another full-time CTO. So you're there really serving as the full-time CTO but you're, you understand that you're doing it on a consulting basis, but you only have a single client. Um, with fractional CTO work, you have multiple clients. So the thing is for a lot of companies, hiring a fractional executive is very cost effective because you can see what the difference is um, with a, uh, an interim CTO, you usually have to pay uh, a regular CTO salary. With a fractional CTO, you uh, some and some CTOs or some fractional executives charge by the hour, some charge by the month, some charge retainers or project basis. I happen to charge by the hour. And what makes a fraction the fractional model um, good for a lot of companies is that they only pay uh, what they for, for the time that they actually use. And for somebody like me, I don't care if I work one hour a month for a company or 10 hours a month or 20 hours a month. Um, they will only pay me for the time that they you for the time that they use me for. And that enables me to time slice between different clients. And the nice thing about the fractional model is that you are involved in lots of different companies and lots of different domains. So the clients that I've had are from ed tech, from uh, pharmaceuticals, from financial uh, fintech, from all sorts of different, different kinds of domains. And you always feel fresh 
because you're learning different domains. So I would say that that is the main difference between fractional and interim is that interim is basically full-time with one client uh, and you serve as kind of a, a transition point, but fractional, sometimes you just are, are time slicing between different clients and you're helping a lot of startups until they get to the point where they could actually hire their own full-time CTO. Okay, and how about the outputs and outcomes as an interim CDO versus fractional CDO? I have a feeling that as a fractional, you don't have so much time, let's say, to organize the work, to set up the strategy and vision. The time is more limited, so you need to be more efficient. But like from your perspective, uh, how does it work regarding outputs and outcome which are expected from you? Okay, so with interim CTO, uh, the main thing you want to do is keep the organization running as it is, right? You don't, you have to be careful not to create any kind of disruptions that the new CTO, when that new CTO comes in, that that new CTO will have to undo. So with an interim CTO, you're, you're, you're there at that, um, at that executive level just to guide the company just to steer the ship on a straight course and not deviate too much and make sure that everything is still working for the time when you hire the new CTO, right? Or new fractional executive um, with the, with the fractional work. And actually let me say that I will do strategy, right? Even though I'm with a, a um, client only on a fractional basis, I will help them with everything. I will come up with the entire tech strategy. I will help them pitch to investors. I will do a lot of the things that a full-time CTO would do, including doing the architecture, running the development team, coming up with uh, helping come up with the sprints uh, for using kind of an agile method. So I will do everything, but I will do it in this kind of compressed time frame, right? So because people are paying me by the hour, um, I have to make sure that every hour that I put in is filled with work. You know, I don't have the luxury, you know, being a, a full-time CTO or even an interim CTO. Um, I don't have the luxury of getting paid, but not being productive at times. I have to be productive for my clients uh, at every minute that I that I charge. Okay, and I really like the data. So I'm wondering, do you have your favorite KPIs for the engineering teams? Uh, for let's say not small startups, but, but like for established organization or already the startups after the validation phase where you have already some some engineering teams. Do you have any KPIs that you you like to monitor or check? Yeah, it's just, you know, it's what every, well, it depends. There are different kinds of CTOs, right? So if you're a CTO who is not, not really running the development organization, maybe you're leaving that to the VP of engineering. And as a CTO, you're just involved with meeting with the executive board, with the CIO who you usually report to and just, coming up with strategy, then the KPIs are a lot different than when you're running a development organization. So when you're running a development organization as an interim CTO, 
the thing you want to make sure is that you're delivering on time and under budget, right? That's, that's always the thing that a CTO is concerned about. Sometimes you are not concerned with uh, the latest technology or you know, scaling 10 times, although you could be, right? But I think that for an interim CTO, since your mission is to do no harm, the KPIs that you look for is do you have a team that's delivering on time and under under budget, right? So I think that, uh, and that's a little bit, that's a little bit different, although not that different from from the uh, from the uh, fractional CTO who works with startups, where again you have to deliver um, on time and under budget. But the interesting thing with a fractional CTO is that you have startups who are sometimes Boot, being bootstrapped with friends and family money, right? It's pre, or they have some sort of pre-seed money, but they don't have that much money to work with. They're often working with a remote development company. Um, and so the KPIs are just to make sure uh, that, that, the, that the founder's vision is getting delivered on time and within that little budget that the founder has. You mentioned really uh, interesting point about the challenges of the CDO. It's like timing and under budget. <laughs> so that's for sure. But um, in your career as a CDO, could you describe like biggest challenges or maybe the challenges that are common as a CTO uh, on the long term or on the short term uh, period? Right. So um, I would just say that as a CTO, just making sure that you have very high-performing teams, um, and you know, just making sure that you have as little turnover as possible, and that you're constantly engaging your team. So, what do you do to make people interested? What you could do is you give them very interesting work. Um, you have to make sure that they're constantly engaged. So you have things like lunch and learns, you bring in guest speakers, you're, uh, making, you're, you're getting them interested in, in new technology. You're making sure that, uh, you have a lot of interaction between the teams and that nobody is developing, uh, in a silo. Um, so those are the typical challenges, um, some of the more interesting challenges um, is when you have what I call resume-oriented development, right? And with resume-oriented development, somebody will read something on a website like InfoQ or um, the ThoughtWorks, one of the ThoughtWorks seminars. Right? This, is, this is the interesting thing, ThoughtWorks, which is a very well-known IT consulting company in mm -hmm. baseball. It's global now. They'll come up with every, every month they have their tech radar and they've exactly. identified things that, um, that are like the latest and greatest in technology. You know, they'll have their whole thing, their buy, hold and, and uh, sell kind of gradings, but um, they, they will talk about technology that might be interesting to them. And then you get developers and architects who will all of a sudden rush into this technology and say, okay, our next new system is going to be developed with this one technology 
that's that's being developed by a single developer on GitHub. Maybe there's no other people developing it, and uh, you have no idea if this technology or this framework is going to be around a few months from now or a year from now, and who is going to support this and how are we, you know, so it's, it's, that's the interesting thing is controlling people's enthusiasm while keeping people interested. And so um, that's always the challenge of being a, a good CTO or even a chief architect is making sure that you have a, that you keep your developers and your IT staff interested, but also making sure that you don't have an entire application stack uh, filled with resume-oriented development items. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really um, cool name. Uh, I heard about the hype-driven development because I run an agency, JavaScript agency, and you can imagine how many different new frameworks and libraries are coming. Uh, so there's, I've I, I been there, done that, so... Um, yeah, you hear the JavaScript frameworks. Okay, some people they want to use Next.js. Some people want to use Vue.js. I mean, there's. It just seems to me that there's new frameworks coming out every day in the whole JavaScript <laughs> or TypeScript script ecosystem, and so you have to be really, really careful with with that. And then you also have to use vulnerable vulnerability and security tools like SNCC, right? It's just to make sure that whatever um, packages you're, you're dragging in, they don't have security problems. And so, yeah, if it, it, it's a very tricky thing. Sometimes the CTO can handle that himself, or sometimes you trust the VP of engineering. Since the VP of engineering is, is the tactical day-to-day person, um, you, you trust the VP of engineering to do that, but you also have to give the VP engineering his marching orders. Like, hey, you have to make sure you you uh, adhere to certain guidelines when you adopt new technology, right? So that's, mm-hmm. that's an important part about being uh, a CTO. And how about those high-performing teams? I'm wondering what are your best practices or lessons learned, how to build those? What would you advise? Um, well, I just think that uh, it's... It's identifying people who really, really want to buy into your mission and it's giving them really interesting, really interesting challenges. So I think I've mentioned some of the stuff about just keeping the people engaged, having lunch and learns, things like that. But I just think it's constant one-on-ones, it's constant communication. So sometimes when you are CTO, you're in this ivory tower. Right. And, and that's the thing to avoid with either be, with being the CXO, right, whether it's CTO or CMO or whatever. Don't be in the ivory tower. Right. So one of the things that I do, I still code. I still love to code. When I was, for instance, at XP, I developed this entire distributed uh, calculation grid framework that we use for risk calculations. And I coded it and I architected it myself. And I gave presentations to the developers. And you know, the developers really appreciate the fact that um, the CTO is actually in the weeds and coding and, and not being a person in this ivory tower. And I think that when word gets around that, hey, you know, come work for Mark, uh, then you actually 
can build, you know, can, can get a lot of uh, the A player type candidates. And then you have uh, all the uh, people from other divisions of the company who want to transfer and work for you, which is another problem, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> um, and regarding those high performing teams. So last month we are in the recession phase, right? So there's not a lot of money and probably everybody is looking for savings, right? The, the CFOs are pushing probably the, the lead team on how to do those savings. Um, and this is really important uh, thing for, for, for the engineering teams too. And I'm wondering from your perspective, what would you advise technical directors or founders, how you could work on a, or how to audit or how to approach this, uh, this performance, how to, um, any like, you know, tips and tricks on your end. Right. How to, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I know, I know. So basically, I think that one of the things is have control over your cloud costs, right? So if you are, if, if you have this massive Azure or massive AWS infrastructure in there, do you know everything that is going on underneath, right? Are you, are you in control of your egress costs and your ingress costs? and the amount of servers you have. And could you use maybe spot instances instead of reserved instances? One of the things that is becoming more and more popular is to have uh, audits. But there, there are companies out there um, that specialize in auditing your cloud infrastructure. And they claim to save companies lots and lots of, of money. And so have frequent audits of your cloud infrastructure. Make sure that you don't, uh, people who aren't entitled to some to certain kinds of infrastructure uh, don't have to use it, right? You don't have to pay for people who are never going to use something, right? So um, if you are using uh, a very costly application performance monitoring tool and something that has a lot of cost per user or a lot of cost per services or per host. Do you really need that, right? Could you get away with something free like uh, the what we call the Elk Stack, uh, Elastic, Logstash, Kibana, or something with Grafana and Prometheus? Could you get away with something free rather than consuming licenses in, in a potentially expensive uh expensive tool. So that's one of the things that I've done a lot as, you know, being a CTO is just saying to the organizations, examine your costs, make sure that you are allocating your costs correctly, make sure that your licenses are allocated in a very strategic fashion. And then Great, again, we're, and then again, we're not going to, you know, this is another conversation, but I'm going to mention Chat GPT. <laughs> and, and, and I've been I, I, I've I've been asking Chat GPT questions and, and it's not gonna be too long before you're gonna be able to use these large language model tools uh very, very effectively. So um that's another potential cost savings, but that's probably a few years down the road. <laughs> 
yeah when, when this will be so so optimized and automated but still like the copilot from the github and and more tools like that are coming so yeah. um, it will be fast <laughs> um no it's it's interesting because martin fowler just had a blog post yesterday about how uh the head of thoughtworks technology in china actually used uh chat gpt to to plan how to write uh, a JavaScript-based application. I don't know if you read this, but it's really no. interesting because uh, um, ChatGPT, he gave ChatGPT some constraints about the JavaScript frameworks to use and which one and how he wants to use it. But, um, and he didn't ask ChatGPT to, to actually write the code, but he said to ChatGPT, write out the architecture, write out a task list of all the steps needed for a coder to write this application given these frameworks and these design patterns and these constraints. So it's very interesting. Nice. Wow. Um, and regarding the talent, so we still uh, have many people working on the code. <laughs> Maybe in the future it will change a bit, but based on your experience, how do you evaluate the talent? What what are your best practices? How to find the, the really talented, uh, team uh, team oriented people or, uh, on the engineering side? It's it's difficult just because there's so much competition out there. So first of all, you have to make when when you're hiring people, you have to make the message look good. Right? You have to make your company look attractive. And then you want to try to create the buzz to get the talented people in. So let's, let's just start for creating the buzz. So one of the companies that I always look up to in terms of creating this buzz is Jane Street Capital. So Jane, Jane Street Capital is a quantitative trading firm that's in New York. And they have really interesting blog posts and really interesting videos. And they've created this whole aura around them so that they get like thousands of applicants every day and they only pick very, very, very few people. So I think number one is creating a culture where you're really projecting that message out there to people. People really want to join you right if if and 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 so um create the culture and create the messaging where you're really attracting uh that that a level talent um but also the interesting thing is look at places where you would normally not look for talent not non the non traditional places so for instance when i was at xp and xp is a brazilian based company we would look at all of the people at the top universities who competed in the math in the Brazilian math Olympiads, right? And so we know that if somebody competed in a math Olympiad, and they and usually if people are good at math, they they're usually pretty good at computer science too. And so we would we would get to these people while they were freshmen or sophomores in like first or second year college students. And we would say, Hey, you know, if you're looking for an internship next summer or you're looking for a job, 
keep us in mind. And so it's cultivating some of this talent at a very early stage and making it interesting enough for them so that when they graduate, they think of your company as being the first company. But I think that just to get the people in, it's just a lot of word of mouth recommendations. And um, you know, of course, you want to make sure that your tech screening is good, right? I, I don't believe in using things like lead code or hacker rank tests. I want to make sure that people could think that people will actually do things and solve problems that are relevant to your company, right? So giving somebody a hacker rank test, test and saying, okay, find some sort of maximal substring, that's not gonna, that's not a good indicator for me uh, of future success in my companies, right? So you really wanna make the interview process tailored for your specific company and give them really good problems where um, you could evaluate their talent. So that's another way of getting high performers in. Okay. And how about remote work? I want, would like to get your opinion because now so many companies, big tech are saying like, get back to the office, right? We, we got this crazy time when everybody was working remotely for, for, I don't know, one year or two or two years in some cases. And I'm wondering, what is your opinion about, it? is it a good move or working remote is totally fine and it depends on people? How, how do you see it? Well, it does depend on the people and it does depend on the role. So for instance, as a fractional CTO, we're always using remote development companies, right? So remote work is just, you know, for, between me and the developers, they're always remote from me. But the thing is, I like to, I, I, I like them to at least interact within their own office, right? So if you're choosing a development company from, let's say, Poland, right? And you want to make sure that that the developers have interaction with each other. I think it's just too easy for people to go away and get lost and not have over overlapping hours. Um, and I and I really do value all of the interaction that goes on um, when people are together. That being said, the cat is out of the bag, right? Now that people are working remotely, it's very hard to go back to a full-time uh, full in the office model, very hard. So you have to be extremely flexible. So I, I like the hybrid model, come in two or three days a week and then work, work remotely uh, with the other times. Fortunately, people have good collaboration tools, right? So between things like Microsoft Teams and Slack, collaboration uh, is, is a fairly important thing. So, and, and also the thing is with remote work, I would say that people are working more hours, right? People, you know, you, it's not unusual to get a Slack message at 11 o'clock at night, right? So, um, and the developers really have to control themselves and, 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 um, make sure that they're not burning themselves out, which is another challenge, right? If, with the remote work uh, and developers seem like they work 24 hours, it's making sure that the people are not burning themselves out. But yeah, I, I like the remote work, but I also think that in-person collaboration is extremely important. I agree with the Slack. I think it's similar to the 
kind of revolution where it was when you got like the first mobile phone and you were constantly under the phone and now with the slack it's even it's even worse because like you some people are feeling so obliged to answer all the all the questions or just look on a on a on a uh, on a thread or or a channel um yeah and and sometimes you send a message to somebody at 10 o'clock at night and then somebody replies to you i'm like why are you replying to me at 10 o'clock at night? I wanted you to answer me the next morning. But sometimes people say, oh, God, it's a message from the CTO. I got to answer right away. So yeah. as, as a CTO, as an executive person, you also have to be mindful of when you're communicating with people, right? Because your mind is always working 24 hours uh, and you have to make sure that you're not sending messages uh, to people where they feel that they have to respond at, at midnight and then you find yourself with a burnt out development team. And how about feedback to your employees? Uh, I mean, do you have your own approach how to discuss uh, difficult topics? Uh, as I feel that especially with people who are introverts, it's really hard to discuss it face to face. And via Slack, it doesn't make any sense. Mm. Mm -hmm. And what is your approach here? Never underestimate the power of a good cocktail and a good bar. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and some of the most difficult conversations I've had is, is outside of the office when people feel a little more, a little more comfortable. So just to kind of ease into these, ease into the, the topics, right? So that's, uh, and yeah, that's, I, I come from a culture like the old wall street culture where a lot of stuff is done uh, kind of in a, in a setting outside of the office. Of course, being a fractional CTO and um, having a remote development team, the, you, the, the, the difficult conversations are a little bit harder to have at, a, at a, your local pub, but still you have to, you have, to have some of these uh, conversations. And, and the hardest part is, is uh, telling a developer that they're just not working out for, for a project. But then again, it's not that difficult because when you're de dealing with these remote development shops, if somebody is not working out and you have to let a, a developer go, they just move on to another project, right? So actually become with a fractional CTO, it's not, uh, and it's not hard to have these difficult conversations because um, people just move on to another project. Uh, that's a, that's a really good point. But um, in case when you need to when you need to let somebody uh, go, I mean, in in your maybe previous companies where you work as a CTO, uh, firing people is always really really hard. But I think it's needed at some point. And I'm wondering when do you decide or what is your uh, process behind it? What factors do you take uh, into consideration right. if you need to, if you have to fire somebody? Well, in a lot of corporations, unless somebody has to be fired for misbehavior, you always put somebody on a PIP, which is performance improvement plan, right? So the way that I do it is I take that person. Um, if you give somebody a PIP, you take, I like to take them out of the normal flow and I like to give them a special project, maybe something that I wanted to do for a while um, that I just didn't have the bandwidth to do, or I just didn't have the, the resources to do. And you say, okay, this is something that's really important for me. 
I'm, I'm giving you a special project. Let's see if you could, if you could uh, come up with something, create something yourself. And sometimes that's the way that you can save a person from, from being fired, right? Is that, okay, you realize that somebody is very talented, but they are just, for some reason, not working out with the current team, but they are valuable to the company. But sometimes you find out that maybe somebody is just not working out. And when it's time to let this person go, at least you have facts on the table, right? It's, okay, you, we put you on this performance plan. These were your milestones. These were your goals. You didn't fulfill this. So, you know, we have to let you go, right? And, but you want to do it in the most humane way possible. People have families. Um, and um, you just want to make sure that you give these people a very soft landing as far as delivering the message. Okay. And I have the last one, the last question, uh, which I ask all of my guests. Are there any books or podcasts or resources uh, that have been particularly impactful for, for yourself, like uh, impactful, impactful for your career? Okay, so I have to say, number one, I don't read books on leadership or listen to podcasts on leadership. Why do I say that? Because every environment is so different, right? It's, you know, I come from a Wall Street environment where I used to walk onto the trading floor and uh, if your system is not working, uh, a trader would take an ashtray and throw it at your head, right? That's, and no podcast is going to uh, prepare you prepare you for that. I tend to listen, I, li I tend to read stuff and listen to stuff which is more technical and informative in nature. So uh, one of my fa favorite podcasts is something called Co-Recursive, which um, they talk about uh, systems that are built and... Um, stories about uh, developers or tech leaders that, and, that actually tell you interesting stories about their careers. And, you know, as far as books go, um, Enterprise Integration Patterns was always like the big one for me. So uh, more architectural books. Um, the great one is, oh, I forget the name of the book. It's very well known but it's like designing data intensive applications. It's, it's something that every senior developer and every architect should read just to understand what it takes to develop uh, distributed systems at scale. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't like, for instance, I've never read the Phoenix project. I've never, I've never read uh, uh, some of those books that a lot of people that a lot of people read because look, it's, it's reflections uh, on one person's experience and everybody has a lot different experience. So I, I would rather like to learn things by, by my own experience and my own situation rather than uh, read a recipe from, from a cookbook. Great. Um, thanks, Mark. Uh, it, it was a great talk. Uh, I'm super happy that we talked uh, talk today uh, and I really liked your uh, insights. I think the one about the optimizing the costs uh, during the recession phase could be really valuable for for the listeners because everybody is looking for ideas and you're aware the, your ideas were really to the point. Um, so thanks, thanks for today. 
It was great. And it was great meeting you. And I had, uh, I had a great time with this. Awesome. Thank you. Take care. Okay. So we are, we are finished. Yeah. Uh, I will just send it to you uh, in a few few minutes. If you have time, just go and scroll through it. If everything is fine, um, the the beginning and the end, of course, we will uh, remove. Just to uh, no, I liked to, it. To, to I thought I thought that things went well. You could see the constant smile on my face, so I smile <laughs> when I think the conversation is flowing nicely. I just hope that everybody could understand me because, as a New Yorker, I talk very fast. So. Uh, no, it was it was great because it was to the point and it was not so super fast uh, from from my perspective. So no worries about it, okay. uh, man. So, so I will send it to you via Slack probably later on. Uh, just uh, give me the confirmation if it's fine, and we'll publish it in upcoming weeks. I sounds think. sounds great. Thank awesome. you so Thank much. You, Mark. I had a great time. It was a pleasure. You bye too. Bye bye. Follow Matt on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Better Tech Leadership newsletter.